All right. Good morning, everybody. Worthy of it all. Worthy of it all. From you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. Ever think about, I mean, maybe you do, but you're singing scripture when you sing that song. It's John 1. All things were created by you, for you. You're worthy of it all. God is the author of everything that we have. He's the author of your life. He's the author of your home. He's the author of the air we breathe. He's the author of the, co- of the car that you drove in this morning. He's the author of the gas in the car that got you here this morning. He's the author of the clothes you're wearing. Can you give me an amen for that one? He's the author of everything. Do we stop and think about that enough? Or do we think about the stuff that we do and have and we forget that when he's the author of it all, it means he's the owner of it all. He's the owner of it all, church. He's the owner of everything. He's the owner of it all. How does that move you? How does it stir you? Hold that thought as we take a few moments this morning we open up God's word. I just want to open in a word of prayer before we do anything else. You know, if we're not careful, so much of what we can do in a church service can become just the next thing. And I don't want that to happen. I want it to be what God intended it to be. If the church comes, then we gather. We don't gather to sing songs. We come to gather and worship God. We don't come to hear someone speak from the Bible for a few minutes. We come to let the word of God get planted in our hearts and for the Holy Spirit to begin to change us with that word. We don't come just to receive. We come in this place because there are others in this building today, if you're here with us today physically, that may need something that God has and you're going to be the one to supply it to them. Do you think about it that way? I can tell you, I'm 51 years old right now, and hey, (laughs) let's not get sidetracked. I'm 51 years old this year, and I wonder how many times over the years that I ever really interpret or think of the church gathering as a place where God is inviting me to be a part of something, not just to receive, but to see who I can then give while I'm part of that. Where so often we live in a world where, especially in our country, we go places to what? To get. We go places to be served. No, no, we come to the church to gather. We come to the fellowship of believers to be imparted from God. Love, grace, truth, joy. The Spirit uses us through the different gifts. Why? So that we can edify each other. And then others can edify each other, and that continues, and that continues, and people become followers of Christ, right? So if you're here this morning, maybe there's something you need to have. Maybe God is just waiting to give you something, or maybe you've already been receiving it. Great. But don't let it stop there this morning. Pause for a minute and say, why else has God brought me here this morning? Because I can promise you, if you're open-handed with your time, if you're open-handed with your resources, if you're open-handed with everything God has entrusted you with, whether it's your, your, your tongue, your skill, your finances, God will engage you in his work. 
And you won't just walk out of this place thinking, oh God, I got this great thing from you. You go, look what you allowed me to do through me to help others. It's a completely different way of looking at the gospel and how God has called the church to build each other up. And I can tell you, it is truly more blessed to give than it is to receive. You might remember a moment how great it was that God spoke to you and talked about this thing, and that's great, and you can talk about that. But when he engages you in the thing that he wants to do with others, man, that makes a lasting impression. You go, why would he use me? Why would he use me? Why would he use me? I don't know. Why would he use any of us? Because he loves us. And he has something that he wants to share with the world. So this morning, we are going to um, talk a little bit about prayer and fasting. I mentioned it during the announcements today uh, that we are getting ready to kick off our 14 days of prayer and fasting starting tomorrow. If you've been a part of Bridge for a longer period of time, you know this is new for us. Typically, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting in the beginning of January, but we decided to change it for a few different reasons because if you were here last week, you heard me say, 21 days is not more spiritual than 14. God is not looking at the days. He's not counting the calendar and say, well, forget Bridge and Lansdale. You chose 14 over 21. I was going to do something on day 18, but oh well. God doesn't do things that way. He doesn't look at it that way. He says, are you hungrier for me or are you hungrier for the things of the world? What is your appetite look like over the next 14 days? Now we take seven more days and we do this in September. So it's actually 21. So hopefully God will give us a buy on that one. Okay. If I'm wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong. I think what's going on in this time is that God says, you have an opportunity. I have an opportunity to ask ourselves what we're hungry for. And if we're hungry for God, he will fill us. Jesus said in Matthew 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? Filled. They will be filled. Last week, we started talking about prayer and fasting. Tomorrow, we kick it off. If you weren't here last week, I'm going to give you a summary real quick on why prayer and fasting is so important, specifically fasting, because throughout the Bible, God's people regularly took time to pray and fast in order to grow closer to him and experience breakthroughs in specific areas. It was a regular occurrence in the Old Testament and in the New Testament to take time to pray, which many of us know, but also to take time to fast. Prayer on its own is powerful. Many of you that practice the discipline of prayer knowing communicating with God is incredibly powerful. It is a fire. It is a flame that God begins to light inside of you. Fasting throws gasoline on it. It does, because what you're saying in that time when you're doing both is, I know my body tells me it's hungry, but I need God more than I need that donut right now. I need God more than I need this meal right now. I need God more than I need this whatever right now. And in that desire for our hearts to be closer aligned, more closely aligned to God, he sees that and he sees the effort and he sees the hunger and he meets you right where you are. And it's a beautiful opportunity for you to meet God in a deeper way. So if you are looking for a way to grow deeper in relationship with God, if you're looking for a breakthrough, if you're looking for something that's going to draw you closer to God and shed some of the weight and the stuff that you're dealing with, are you going to join us for 14 days of prayer and fasting? I really hope you are. 
I really, really hope you are. There's something so powerful of that. Again, if this is newer to you, this is not a, I have to do 14 days without food. Pastor Paul said this, or the person next to me is doing this. This is not about that. It's about you choosing. And we're going to talk a little bit later today about what it means for you to choose what to do and how it should look. This is between you and God. It's not between you and everybody else around you. He sees the heart. He sees your desire, and he responds to those who are pursuing him because he's already pursuing you. Why do we talk about this? Sure, I just explained that. But something that we haven't really spoken too much about over the years on Sundays, and you're going to see more of this through the lobby as we get into the next month or so, are the five core values that we have at our church. Because we've had that for many years. If you've been part of our Explore class, you've heard us talk about the core values, that we build our lives on things that are not temporary, but we build our lives on things that are eternal. And we use the word build as an acrostic at our church, and we talk about biblical truth as our first core value, that all scripture is God-breathed. We talk about unconditional love and how God loves us, so we then first, he loved us, we love others. We talk about intentional generosity, that God benefits or he blesses those who bless others. We've talked about living in community. We prioritize that, the need for us to walk in community because we shouldn't forsake the gathering of the saints, as Hebrews says. And the last one is D, is devotion to prayer. And our core value, devotion to prayer, says this. It says, we believe prayer strengthens and deepens our relationship with God and invites his presence and power. That's what we believe as a church. It is one of our five values. We are devoted to prayer. We are devoted to prayer and fasting. Why? Because it strengthens and deepens our relationship with God and invites his presence and his power. A relationship with God cannot grow deeper than our prayer lives. You can read the Bible all you want and learn it up and down. The Pharisees memorized the Bible. If we don't have an intimate time of prayer with God and we're not growing in a prayer life between us and God, our relationship with God will not deepen. Because there's something that happens in the foundations of our lives that breaks the bondages of pride and brings us to a place of humility where we begin to seek God in conversation through prayer and through fasting. This transforms us. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? All your heart. There's a promise in Scripture. That's what I love about these things. You, know, you could say, well, Pastor Paul said, I didn't say anything. Jeremiah 29 God said it through the prophet Jeremiah. And if it's wrong, blame Jeremiah. Don't blame me. But I can tell you what, it's not wrong. Because when we're hungry for something, when we're passionate, when we cry out for God, when our heart's desiring something greater than ourselves, God sees that and his response is to respond to us. It really speaks to the concept of pursuing something. What are you and I pursuing today? Are we pursuing the things that are temporary or are we pursuing the things that are eternal? So if you want to deepen your relationship with God and see him move supernaturally in your area or in an area, make time to pray and fast and you'll find out in the nature of your pursuit while you're pursuing God, he will reveal to you that he has already been pursuing you. The beauty of the gospel isn't that we set things in motion. God already set it in motion. His spirit is already drawing you. His spirit is already bringing you. The work on the cross already paid the price. And when we choose to do that, we align ourselves to what God wants to do. We'll find out that as we pursue him, we'll find out that he has already been pursuing us. So as a result of that, we're going to take three weeks and we're going to talk about prayer and fasting. But we're going to talk about it through the concept of pursuing God. And that's what our series title is going to be about. It's called Pursuing God. 
The next three weeks, we are going to talk about examples of things that happen through prayer and fasting and why you would want to pray, pray and fast and how that connects directly with pursuing God, the benefits of what that looks like. Today, I'm sorry, last week, I talked about three different reasons why you may fast. If you were here, you heard me list them, and I'm going to mention them very briefly. The first was wisdom, wisdom to know God and to know his will. Maybe you fast for wisdom. Maybe you're fasting for intervention, which is to demonstrate our need or your need specifically for God. It could be a specific thing or it could be something larger. Maybe you're looking for empowerment to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bowles just talked about how we don't have a junior Holy Spirit or a senior Holy Spirit. He is the same Holy Spirit and he inhabits all those who seek him through Christ and invite him into our lives. He's not a respecter of persons. These are three reasons why we may fast. There are other reasons that you can fast, but these are three significant reasons. Now, I actually said something in error last week that I just wanted to correct, and I said it just off the cuff, and I can't remember if it was this service or both. But I said, here are three reasons why we may fast in no particular order, and I'm going to backtrack on that because I didn't mean to say that. The first one is the greatest priority. We fast and we seek God to know him and to know his will because none of the other ones matter at all if we don't know God. It begins with a relationship with God. So today we're going to take a few moments and we're going to talk about when we pursue God through prayer and fasting, what it looks like for us to pursue not just God, pursue wisdom. How can you use prayer and fasting to pursue God and to pursue wisdom? What does it look like? The number one priority he has for each of us is to know him. And when we say know him, I mean not know about him. You don't need wisdom to know about God. That's knowledge. Wisdom is absolutely knowing who God is. To be able to apply that knowledge, to understand him, to experience understanding in the midst of your facts. You see, wisdom is what we're going to talk about briefly this morning. Not knowledge. Knowledge is not, no, no, sorry, knowledge is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing when to say it and if you should say it. Knowledge is knowing the difference between a hammer and a screwdriver. That's knowledge. Wisdom is knowing when to use one over the other. So you can see the difference. We're not looking for knowledge. We are looking for wisdom, the application of the truth that God gives us. So my question to you this morning, what does the Bible say about wisdom? How do we grow in wisdom, not just knowledge? Because we are overwhelmed with knowledge resources in the world today. Everywhere. When you hear stories that date back hundreds of years of people that gave their very lives to hold on a piece of God's word or scripture, Or people that were imprisoned in other countries and they held on to little tears of scripture and put it in their pocket or they ate it so they wouldn't be caught with the word of God. And today we can pull up hundreds of translations on our phone and read whatever we want, whenever we want. We don't need Bible tools that cost thousands and thousands of dollars. You can download stuff for free these days and learn all you want. We are inundated, if you will. We have a gluttony of knowledge when it comes to spirituality and God. We're not looking for more knowledge today, though some of us may need to understand and have grow in some knowledge. The truth fact is the Bible says we really need to pursue wisdom. 
So where do we begin when we're looking at pursuing true wisdom? Proverbs 4, 7 says this. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. (laughs) Thank you, Solomon. Solomon wrote this, by the way. (laughs) Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Solomon, according to scriptures and what we see historically, the wisest man that ever lived, God asked him for anything you want you can have as you're going to be the new king of Israel. What do you want? He didn't ask for wealth, prosperity, fame, or riches. He asked for wisdom. And because he asked for wisdom, God gave him everything else. That is not a formula. It doesn't mean when you get wisdom that you're going to be wealthy in the world sense. But Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, and it's actually called Wisdom Literature. And what he says about it, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get it. If you want to be wise, make it a priority, seek it to get it, though it costs you all you have. Do you see what he says? Getting true wisdom will cost you and I all that we have. Don't just learn facts. Don't just learn knowledge. Learn how to apply them in the life that you've been given. That is biblical, godly wisdom. So how do you gain wisdom? Where do we start? Well, Solomon answers that question as well, and you're going to love the answer. Proverbs 9, verse 10, he says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So what does he say here? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I told you you'd love it. The beginning of wisdom for us as we walk in relationship with God is fear. Okay, let's pray and go home. I'm just kidding. No, we're not going to do that. What is he talking about? How many of you have ever heard this scripture before and go, whoa, like that's a lot to digest. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'm supposed to grow in wisdom. What is this really trying to tell us? Well, the New, the New Living Translation, I'm not going to show this to you, but that translation actually says the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. It is the starting place, however you choose to look at it. It is the beginning of the wisdom path, kind of like the slide is, the sign is saying, choose your path. Every one of us in this world walk a path. Every one of us walk a journey. And as we walk this journey, we have to choose the path we're going to walk on. And each path takes us down different places. The path of wisdom begins at the place that we choose to fear God. Now, what does that actually mean? Well, fear in Scripture actually has a few different meanings, but it is synonymous with one specific one. But let me just say there's really two kinds of fear that you see in Scripture. The first kind of fear is a punitive kind of fear. This is the kind of fear where you're literally scared, terrified, afraid. If you do something wrong, there is a penalty that you're going to be punished. Some of you understand that fear? Right, And I'm willing to understand or believe that when people first hear this scripture, that's the first definition of what they usually associate it with. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If I do wrong, I'm going to get punished. Therefore, get in line, man, because God is going to beat you up. I've heard people talk like this. Oh, you don't do the right thing. God's going to whack you. He's going to zap you. He's going to do all those things. And I'm going, man, that's rough. Is that really the heart of a loving God? Can I tell you something? He is a God of justice as much as he is a God of love and compassion. He is a holy God, and there are truth standards, and there are consequences to things. There is nothing wrong with having a healthy level of fear of God. Do you know why? Because he's God. He's God. 
There's something about that that we need to understand. That is one of the things that the scripture talks about. Understand that he is God. There was a song written many years ago. It's profound. It says, God is God and I'm not. I'm like, wow, that's really profound. And I'm like, wait a minute, that is profound. Because in the world that we live in, many times we're trying to hear what? People say, you're God. He's not. Truth matters based on your interpretation, not his. If we are going to follow who God really is, then we need to recognize that he's the one who makes it all. He's the one who's in charge of it all. He's the one that has the plan, and we are the creation, not the creator. But that's one type of fear. The second type of fear, and this is the bigger part of fear that I want to really talk about this morning, and it's simply this. It's about a profound respect or reverence and love. When the scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, he's not saying being terrified of God is where it all starts. No, that's not really what he's saying. He's saying having a profound respect, understanding, and reverence for God of his majesty and his love and his power and his authority, walking in that understanding is the beginning to receive all the wisdom that God has for you and for me. It is a mindset Not being afraid of punishment, but displeasing the one who is the source of your own security and love. So when he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, what he's saying is, do you fear God more for what he may do to you? Or do you fear God more for not having a relationship with him? There's a difference. There's a big difference. The first one does have an impact on us, but it's only for a moment. God doesn't want us to walk our lives being afraid that, oh no, if I mess up, he's going to zap me, he's going to hurt me. For a moment, that can keep us in line when we do really silly stuff. But ultimately, the fear of the Lord that he's talking about is, are you concerned about the relationship more than you're concerned about the penalty? Because that's the kind of fear that he talks about. For years, we've done a series at Bridge, and we do it periodically. It's called You Asked For It. It was called Where in the Word. We change it a bunch of different times over the years. But basically, it's an opportunity, and we're going to do it again this summer. We have a plan for this summer where we're going to ask people to say, what are some of the big topics that you'd want to know about what God's Word says about certain things that you walk through? And without question, almost every single time, one of the higher questions that we see that come in is the question, how far is too far? How do I know where the line is? before I get to the place where I'm sinning against God versus I'm not sinning against God? And that question comes up a lot. It's usually a question regarding purity questions. Basically, how close can you get to the line without crossing it? And what I want to encourage you with this morning is that that is not a question we ever really ask if the fear of the Lord is the foundation of how we live. Because if the foundation of understanding the reverence and the love and the, the compassion that comes from God is our priority, we don't ask the question how close we can get to the line before we cross it. We ask how close can we stay to God? And I don't care about the line. Then there's so much room between us and the line. It's not about toying with things that could potentially hurt us but won't offend God. It's about how close we can stay in relationship with God. And we understand this in a non-spiritual way. And let me give you an example. If you have a close family member, especially if you're married, I challenge you to consider going to them sometime this week and say, you know, how close could I get to the line of sinning against you but not sin against you? What are the boundaries? 
how close could, how, how could I, could I look at other people? Could I go out with other people? Could I have conversations? How, how, how close can I get there where we're still okay and you're, you know, we're not sinning or anything, but, but I'm not really crossing the line. Is that okay with you? Right? Ew. Ew. People are looking, you're like, dude, you need help. No person in their right mind that's married to somebody else would look at you and go, oh, that sounds like a great idea. You'd say, you want to know how, how close you can get to cheating on me without cheating on me, and I'm going to be okay with it. Yeah, I just want to know like, how, how, what's okay and what's not okay. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Yeah. Yet we do the exact same thing with God. Yeah. How close can we get to cheating on you, God, but not cheat on you? And God says, you don't understand the fear of me. You don't understand the reverence. You're less interested in preserving the relationship and you're more considering the consequences if you violate it. It's about the relationship, church. Punitive fear has its place, as I said, but it won't sustain us. It won't sustain us because a punishment for the crime, if that's what happened in this world, there would be so much less sin and crime in this world if just the punitive consequence was the thing that motivated people. For Christians, fear that sustains us is not about God's judgment. It's about being separated from him. And let me ask you again this morning, are you more interested in the consequence of separation from God? Focus on the relationship separation. That's when we start to walk in the pathway of true fear and reverence because God doesn't want relationship with us severed. Scripture says King David was a man after God's own heart. And I love how there are so many examples of people who love God in the Scriptures that many of them we would probably never allow in a pulpit on a Sunday morning because of the things they did. Not just the good things, but the bad things that they did. David loved God. He was a man after his own heart. He was the second full king of the nation of Israel, but he was also an adulterer and he was a murderer. And he took a woman who wasn't his, who was married, and had an adulterous relationship with her, and then set her husband up to be killed. And you heard me talk about this briefly last week if you were here. But then there was a baby that came from that, and the baby, the baby was, was um, as a consequence, the baby would die. And he went and he fasted before the Lord, and he prayed and tried to intervene that God would change his mind, and the consequence would not be that the child would die. But this is what David's prayer was in Psalm 51. Listen to what he said. He said, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then look what he said in verse 11. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David's prayer, he said afterwards, was maybe in my humility, God would change his mind and the child would live. But his physical prayer that he wrote in the Psalms was, whatever you do, do not remove your presence from me. That's the heart of someone who fears God, where it was less about the judgment and more about losing the relationship. I'm convinced in this world, that if we would focus more on the damage that sin has on our relationships instead of following the law and breaking the boundaries and the penalties that come with it, there would be a lot less sinful behavior in and outside the church today because it's the relationship that gets severed that God wants us to focus on. So there's a lot of different paths we can walk on today. My question briefly to you this morning, and it is brief, is how do we nurture a heart of, of wisdom? How do we grow on this pathway of wisdom? And I want to ask you to consider two things briefly that I'm going to mention, and I have two scriptures for you. 
And before I say any of this, let me first say, and it's not even on my list, I think it all begins with a heart of repentance. Repentance doesn't say you're sorry, that's remorse. Repentance is choosing to walk in a different way. So a heart of repentance says, I see these things that I should do and I'm going to choose to walk in them. That's what repentance means. It's a turning from one way and walking in another. So by definition, if we don't have a heart of repentance, we can't actually receive what God wants for us because we're not walking in it. We're still walking in the other way. So how do we receive wisdom? How do we pursue wisdom God's way? Two things to consider. Consider this morning God's majesty and consider God's love. And I have two scriptures that I want to read for you this morning. And then we're going to do something a little bit different. Number one, consider God's majesty. Taken out of Psalms chapter 8. This is what the psalmist writes. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. See what the writer's doing? This is David, by the way. Look how great God is. Look how big God is. Look how majestic he is. Verse three, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You see what David's saying here? He's saying, when I reflect on the majesty of God, how he's created everything, he's the author of everything. When I consider how amazing God is and how big he is, how powerful he is, how everything belongs to him, as I said earlier. And then I think about how tiny we are in the midst of all this creation. Why does he even care? Why does he even care? Verse 6. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims, the ocean currents. O Lord, O Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Consider God's majesty, that he's the biggest, the greatest, the most powerful. His love is greater than anyone else. His goodness cannot even be equaled by anyone in the world because God created everything. And yet he is interested in knowing you and you knowing him. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? I mean, I've seen people go cuckoo crazy over getting a Facebook response or a social media response over some human that's maybe in a celebrity in Hollywood or something. They're like, oh my goodness, look, I got this response. Or I remember as a kid, I sent a letter into a radio station and got a picture back from one of the DJs with a signature. And I was like, oh my gosh, look at this. And I was like all over the place. I'm like, this is like the most amazing thing. My name is on this piece of paper. And it was incredible. I was overwhelmed with excitement. It was like euphoric for a young person. The creator of the universe wants you to know him. The one who birthed you wants you to know him. The one who's in charge of everything, as everything is so grand. And as our technology continues to increase, we see more and more of God's beautiful creation outside this planet that we live on. Shouldn't it amaze us when we look at it to go, all of that stuff matters less to him than you knowing him. Think about that. That's how important you are to him. Everything matters less than you knowing him and him being in relationship with you. Pursue and consider God's majesty. The second thing this morning is to consider God's love. Consider God's love. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, Paul says, the Apostle Paul writes, and all of this is a gift from God. He's talking about the salvation we have through Christ. Everything we have is a gift from God. 
who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. What is he saying? This beautiful gift of love that he's empowered and given to you through his son, he now invites you to share with others. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. What I love about that is that, listen, I am a messed up human individual. I've done a lot of crazy bad things in my life that I'm not proud of. Thoughts, actions, words. Here's the thing. Some of you might sit there and go, well, you're probably not as bad as I am. Well, in scripture, Bible's very clear. We're all bad. All of us are bad. We've all messed stuff up. None of us are perfect, not even close to perfect. All of us have failed and fallen short of the glory of God through sin. This scripture is saying God used his son and allowed his son to be the one who reconciled the world to himself. He no longer counts people's sins against us. He has given us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Look what he says in verse 21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's the message of reconciliation. You could say, I don't feel like I'm good enough. Guess what? You're not. I don't feel like I'm ever going to be good enough. You won't. You don't have to be. Jesus is. Now that's not license for us to do dumb things. That doesn't give us permission to keep walking in sinful behaviors. If anything, what it says is, I moved heaven and earth so that you could be in relationship with me again and my son paid the price. And because he did that, you can walk in relationship with me in restored relationship again. The most important relationship you could ever have because you were created for it. That's the beauty of what it means to walk as a follower of Christ. And when we understand that that's what true fear of God looks like, to understand to revere him in thanksgiving and to not want to jeopardize that relationship, everything you and I can do, our priorities, our decisions, everything that we put in place, we think about it through the lens of, will this disrupt the relationship between us and God? Or will it deepen the relationship between us and God? That's the principle we should be looking at. Not how close we can get to the line, but how close we can stay connected to God. Our thoughts honoring to you. Well, what does God's word say? You see, the more that you love the person that's close to you, the more that you care for the person that you share your life with, the more you want to do those things that maintain and deepen that beautiful bond and relationship, right? And that's the way it works here. The more that we draw closer to God, the more he shows us that he's already been drawing closer to us. And then we get a better understanding that the majestic power of God, the love of God, is not just made available to the people that you've heard of or the people on television or the friends that you met at church. It's available to you, and it's available to me, and it's available to all of us. And he values you just as much as he values the person next to you. And he doesn't want your relationship with him to be jeopardized at the expense of somebody else's. He doesn't choose them over you. He chooses us all. And he wants us to choose him in return. It's a beautiful message of God's love. And it begins with a healthy understanding of fear and reverence. Respecting who he is and walking it out to nurture that relationship. We're going to take a few moments this, 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 after, or sorry, this morning as a church. And we're going to respond to this. Rather than just respond with just a simple song, we're going to take a few moments and we're going to 
have some quiet time. And the worship team is going to come and they're going to play some music in the background. And you heard during our announcements that in the seats around you right now, maybe you're sitting on it or maybe you moved it to the side, there was a packet of information. And in that packet of information, I'm going to pull it out. There were a few things that I want to show you. But in the packet of information, there was a magnet that talks about six things that we're pursuing God for in 2024 as a church. Six things that start with spiritual growth and discipleship. We talk about salvations in our communities, the expansion of our summer leap program, wisdom for parents to shepherd and to lead their children, and then also for students to know and to serve God faithfully. We want you to take this home with you, one for each family. Put it somewhere that you can be reminded over the next few weeks or even over the next few months to say, will you join us in praying for these things as a church, that God would do these things this year in 2024 and we would see him do amazing work. That's a a magnet. And then we have this larger little prayer and fasting booklet here, this little brochure. And it's really just simply designed to give you basic information about prayer and fasting. If you've missed some of the teaching or maybe you just still need more information, this will give you a top line, 50,000 foot view of what fasting really is and how you can prepare for it. And then there's a few resources on the back that you can go to online and download. And it will teach you a little bit more detail on how you can prepare for fasting. This is available to all of you. We want you to take it home and just spend some time and prepare then there's this larger card that's in front of you. And on the one side, we have all the opportunities and how you can participate here at Bridge over the next two weeks that begin with Monday night prayer meetings, which are happening every Monday night here at 7 p.m. And you can join. You don't have to sign up for anything. Just show up. We have those opportunities for you. We have the church being open for prayer every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday with the hours listed. This room will be up, set up with music, and you can come and go as you like. No one will disturb you. No one will bother you. You can come. You can seek God in a chair. You can come to the altar. This is just a place for you. It's a sanctuary for you to come during the weeks. Look at all the options for you to participate and how you can participate. And then on the other side, there's some simple questions and some notes. Why do we fast? It talks about wisdom, intervention, and empowerment. And then there's a blank area that maybe there's something else that you're looking for. And then my plan for the fast just has some basic notes. What I'd like you to do over the next few minutes is I'd like you to take a few moments and talk to the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you can't wait to jump into this 14-day of prayer and fasting and your pen's going to run at a, at a rapid pace. You're going to fly through this because you know exactly where you're going to go. Great. Maybe you haven't really thought through it yet and you don't even know what it would look like. Can I remind you this morning, if you've heard this before or maybe this is the first time, if it matters to you, it matters to God. What are you going to do to stop consuming something of the world and instead begin to consume the things of God? And as you do that, be prepared that God will respond. So I'm going to get out of the way and the team's just going to quietly play and we're going to take a few minutes today. And I'm going to ask you where you are, take a pen, take this little sheet, jot some things down or write it on your phone. I don't care how you do it. I'm giving you an opportunity for you to spend some time preparing for the next two weeks. And we're going to see God do some great things at Bridge. So let's take some time here and let's prepare.